Thank you, Jamie, and thank you, Rick. Be looking at Numbers chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Numbers chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Many of you are already aware of the fact that since several months ago, we've been walking through the Bible and we've been looking at the children's Bible stories. The Bible stories you'll find in most children's Bible story books or Sunday school curriculum or Bible school curriculum. But now we're not just looking at the Bible stories, we're looking at the grown-up lessons in the children's Bible stories. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we were all the way back in the book of Exodus. Now we're in the book of Numbers. What happened to the book of Leviticus? Well, if you understand, in the book of Leviticus, that is the tedious aspects of the law. Now, many of you remember this if you've always said in, the, in January, I'm going to read the Bible through this year. And you get into the book of Leviticus and you get bogged down because it's very tedious. God covered a lot of things in the book of Leviticus. Not a lot of action stories there to be put in children's Bible stories. That's important. And we may look at that in a later time, but as we're going through, we want to look at the events that would show up in a Bible story. Now, two weeks ago, we were in the book of Exodus, and we were very encouraged. After time, after time, after time, where the children of Israel just complained and griped and whined and disappointed God and disappointed Moses and criticized Moses and, and, and threatened to stone him, they wanted to go back to, to Egypt. They called for an offering. They called for an offering of all kinds of things so they could build the tabernacle and they could build uh, the furniture for the tabernacle and they could put the priest vestments together. They called for an offering and the same people that had griped and complained responded so well to the offering that the craftsmen had to say, Moses, you've got to put the word out and stop these people from bringing. We've got too much stuff to work with here. So he actually had to tell them to quit giving because they had given so much. Now that's encouragement that these people can change from being such a disappointment to God to being such an encouragement. And we, we get some, a big lesson there. Doesn't matter where you've come from or what you've been. Your life can be something better when we obey God. And you can be something useful in the purpose of God. Now we look at this passage of Scripture, and this has got to be a wonderful time of excitement. He's led them this far, and they've gone, of course, through the giving of the law. They've given them the instructions for the tabernacle, which is a place of worship. They've given them instructions, of course, for the vestments for the priests the furniture for the tabernacle, all that's been done. They've given them instructions concerning their civil law and concerning their moral law. He set everything up. And now it's obvious God is indicating that the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, were about to move into their own land. After 400 years after the promise, they'd been reminded over and over all the way through Egyptian bondage, one of these days we'll have our own land. One of these days. God promised it. And now this people was about to become a nation. Excitement, opportunity, possibility. Now let's pick up the story in Numbers chapter 13, verse 1. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? 
And the Lord sent, spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am given to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, and all the men who were heads of the children of Israel. Now skip down to verse 25. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, and the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell in the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we had gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. We saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. Let's pray together, please. Father, we, we thank you for the stories, the history of your people through the ages. But Father, we know these stories were written for our learning, that we could apply the truths to our lives. Help us to see these truths, to hit home in our lives, that this passage of Scripture is relevant and applicable and means something to us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we mentioned, it's a time of excitement, a time of possibility, a time where all that God had promised him was just about to come to, to be. We're going to have our own nation. We're going to move into our own country. The time of wandering is over. And then the last verse we read, the people of Israel are crying all night in the wilderness. What happened? And why does that matter to us? Well, what happened is a lot more familiar than we might think. This is not just something that happened thousands of years ago thousands of miles away. First thing, and this is going to sound familiar, they were defeated by a challenge before they even tried to accomplish it. They were defeated by an opportunity before they even tried to take advantage of that opportunity. They simply said, we can't do that. They didn't try. They didn't pursue it. And why is that? Here's where it gets real familiar. 
They worried about all the possibilities that had not even happened yet. Did you remember that? We went to the land and the cities are large. The cities are large and they're fortified. Then they begin to list all the people there. Here are all the reasons. Here's all the things that might happen. And they worried about the things that might happen to such an extent they were vapor locked today and couldn't accomplish anything. Does that sound familiar? What's in your future? Well, we think about all the things that might happen. Maybe there's some issues going on. It might turn out this way. It might turn out that way. That might happen. This may not happen. What am I going to do if this happens? What am I going to do if that happens? All this worry comes up, and it completely stifles us to the point where we look to whatever's coming up and says, there's no way we can do that. There's no way I can do that. I'm just going to stop, and I'm just going to quit, and I'm just going to stay right here. How does that happen? that the future possibilities overwhelm us? How does that happen, that the opportunities that come our way, we only look at the problems and not the opportunity? How does it happen that a challenge we have not even tried to match overwhelms us? Well, it comes down to the very simple thing, and this is familiar too. They abandoned their God-focused mindset and let other things take their mind off of God. They took their eyes off of God. They took their eyes, first of all, off of His promises. They said, we can't go in and conquer this land. There's no way. It's logistically impossible. We were around and we looked at everything and we can't do it. We just can't do it. Now, look at the first thing that they had when God instructed them to go search the the land out. The first thing God said was this. The Lord said to Moses saying, send the men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. Now stop right there. God said, spy out the land that I am giving you. Now did you catch that promise? God said he was going to give it to him. Where'd this business we can't go come into play when God specifically said, I'm giving it to you. Now, you might say, wait a minute. You've got to give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they missed that. Because it's just kind of like a matter-of-fact thing that God slipped in there. Well, they didn't miss the Ten Commandments. God himself spoke the Ten Commandments to them. Moses is speaking to them in chapter 13, verse 1 and 2 of Numbers. But look back at Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Now, the Ten Commandments is the most crucial part of the law, and it is the part of the law that applies to us today. It is part of the moral law. And despite the fact whether you Hebrew, non-Hebrew, American, Israelite, Mexican, Chinese, all of this applies when you look at the Ten Commandments. This is the moral law that applies to all of humanity. God had their undivided attention. And in chapter 20, verse 12, he says, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long 
upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Bingo. There it is again. God is saying, I'm giving you that land. That's a promise straight from God. But God didn't stop there. In the book of Leviticus, which is very tedious, wrapped up in that book, in the very tedious aspects of their behavior and the things that they were to uh, observe, God slips his promise in. Look at Leviticus chapter 19. There'll be about a couple of passages we want to look at in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 19. God's giving them instructions on how they should act, how they should not act. This is part of the moral law. This is part of their civil code. This is part of how they should treat others. I mean, it's very important things going on here. And right in the middle of, the, of the, these instructions where God is telling them what they should and should not do, he says this, chapter 19 of Leviticus, verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not glean your vineyard, nor you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Now, of course, we know the essence of this, where God says, you take effort to take care of the poor. You take effort to make sure you leave something for the people who can't fend for themselves. But did you catch the first phrase? When you reap the harvest of your land. Of what land? They were in the middle of the wilderness. Of the land they would go in to possess. God didn't have to say everything. God is talking about the land they were coming. He repeats this in chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 22. He'd given them all these instructions, and he gives them a reminder here. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 22. You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them. The land where I'm bringing you to dwell in may not vomit you out. You shall not walk in the statutes of the nation which I'm casting out before you. They commit all those things, and therefore I abhor them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has separated you from these peoples. Did you catch that? Three times in this one passage, he tells them, it's your land I'm giving it to you. Your will live there. And here are the instructions for when you live there. Not if they live there. These instructions were all given to them. God, of course, speaking to the fact that they would be there and they could do it. God never implied that there was a possibility that they couldn't do it. God knew they could do it, and he would help them do it. He would do it for them, and he knew it, it could happen. And he gives them the instructions. But they took their eyes off the promise. These were just a few. There's probably a dozen more times where God mentions the land that he would bring them to over and over and over. Now, what did God tell them? God tell them, told them, you're going. You're going in. Here's how you are to behave when you get there. You're going. 
Now they say, we can't do it. What'd they do? They took their eyes off of the promises of God, and they were defeated before they even started. Now that is all too familiar in our lives. God has promised to be with us to the end of the world. God has promised that his presence would go with us. God has promised that he would handle all of our needs. God has promised that his eyes on the sparrow, his eyes on us. Then the events of life come and we forget all these promises and we let all these things defeat us and overwhelm us and drive us down. And all we have to do is look back and put your mind back on the promises of God. Secondly, they lost sight and took their eyes off of God's knowledge. God knew some things, but obviously they had forgotten that God knew some things. And because of that, they were overwhelmed by what they saw. Where do we see this? Look at verse 29. I have to pay attention to the details. Do a little homework here. Chapter 13 of Numbers, verse 29. You want to go back to home base here. Numbers chapter 13, verse 29. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Now they said, do you know who lives there? You don't realize the people that are living there. And they begin to name them off. And they were vicious, ungodly, godless people. And they said, you don't know who's living there. And we saw who's living there. And because of who's living there, we can't go there. But they forgot God knew who was living there. And they didn't have to just assume this. God had told them through the years he knew who was living there. All the way back to Genesis chapter 15, if you want to turn. This is 400 years before. God is talking to Abraham about this very promise about giving this land to his descendants. And God mentions some very significant details. Chapter 15 of Genesis, verse 18. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, to your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephraim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. They begin to list even more people that live there. But within this list are all the people that the Hebrew children were afraid of. You might say, well... That, that's what he told to, to Abraham. You've got to give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they didn't hear this little piece of information. Well, fast forward to Exodus chapter 13. And again, 
This is within a very important instruction. We know they got this instruction. We know they heard this because they observed the Passover for centuries later. So we know they heard what God just said. And so let's look at what God said. They were just about, they were just about to go to the Red Sea and cross, and they had left the city limits of Egypt, so to speak. And Moses said to the people, Exodus chapter 13, verse 3, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, by the strength of the hand of the Lord has brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day you are going out, the month of Abib. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land, now look at this, of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. And what did he say? I've given you the land. And oh, by the way, all these people are there, but that didn't change a thing, did it? Did they listen? Did they hear that? But again, verse 23, chapter 23, verse 23. One more reminder. I know this is tedious, but there's a reason for this. God told him over and over and over. He knew who was in the land. And every time he mentions who was in the land, he said, you'll take possession. You'll take possession. Chapter 23, verse 23. My angel will go before you and will bring you to the bringing into you to the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. I will cut them off. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works. You shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. God told them at least three times, I know who's there. Let me tell you who's there. Then they come back hyperventilating. Do you know who's there? The Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hivites, the Hittites. You don't have any idea who's there. And God says, I've already told you these things. You forgot my knowledge. So by ignoring his word and by ignoring his knowledge, the circumstances cause them to lose heart. The circumstances cause them to panic. Why? They forgot what God had told them. They lost their focus on God's promises. They lost their focus on God's knowledge. Oh, but something else happened. They forgot their current blessings and took their eyes off of their blessings. Why do we know that? Well, in the book of Numbers, it's quite interesting. You go down to chapter 14. They're all upset. They're all concerned and defeated by what's coming up because they forgot God's promises. They forgot God's instructions and God's knowledge. And in verse 4, they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You came out of bondage where you were serving, as the Bible says, with rigor where you served under bitter bondage. 
the description says. And now you're turning around saying, I sure wish I was back in Egypt again. I'm going to go back to where I was before God brought me to this place. I'm going to go back to the old ways. I'm going to go back to the old me. I'm going to go back to the old way of living before God got a hold of me and brought me to right here. You see what happened? Now, all of this is significant. But here's one of the most significant points before we move forward. What else did they forget? Turn to Exodus chapter 24, verse 7. Exodus chapter 24, verse 7. Moses had received the covenant, the law. And in verse 7 of chapter 24 of Exodus, he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. They forgot their commitment to God. They said they would do what God asked them to. They said they would go where God told them to go. They said they would obey the instructions of God. Now, God gives them the instructions, and they said, we can't do that. That's unreasonable. You can't expect us to do that. Does that sound familiar? We come to a place in our life, maybe a, a youth camp or a conference or a revival. Evangelist comes in, and we make commitments to God. I'll serve you. I'll commit my life to you. I will serve you and I will be obedient to you. And, and we give our lives to God and we make commitments to Him. And just a little while down the road, we lose sight of all of His promises, all of His knowledge, and we lose sight of our commitment to God. They had said they would obey God. And now they're saying, you've got to be kidding, God. We're not doing that. So why should this matter to us? Why should this matter to us? Well, let's look at the promised land and exactly what it is and exactly what it isn't. Now, I know I sing a lot of gospel music, a lot of gospel songs. A lot of southern gospel songs talk about crossing over Jordan and into the promised land. Jordan, of course, is always symbolic of death. Promised land is symbolic of heaven. That is not the picture that the Bible presents. You say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. If the promised land's not heaven, what is the promised land? Well, look in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 10. Then this becomes to hit home, become real familiar to us. All too familiar, personally. Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 10. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10, make sure you're there. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, 
houses full of good things which you do not fill, hewn out, hewn out wells which you do not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you do not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. Verse 17. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies, his statutes which he commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you that you may go in and possess the good land which the Lord swore to your fathers. What is he talking about? The land of promise, the good land, the land of milk and honey is not a picture of heaven. It is a picture of a life of productive obedience to God. Crossing the Jordan is not the finish line when we go to heaven. Crossing the Jordan is a picture of the starting line. When we make a commitment to God and we go into the promised land, this passage of scripture says that land is a land, it's a place where you are obedient to God. You follow his commandments. You live by his morals. You don't follow the morals of the people around you. You follow the morals and the standards and the decency of God Almighty. That's the picture of the promised land. And they stood at the brink and said, we can't do that. And they forgot they had already told God they would do that. You see, the comparison is unmistakable. God instructed them to move forward, to follow his instructions, to live by his word, to live by the standards of morality, decency, and honesty. To reject the ungodly standards and lifestyles of the current cultures. To actively serve him. And the same expectations apply today. God doesn't expect anything less from us. You see, the picture is unmistakable. And God also clearly identified the challenges. He said, you go into the land, but let me tell you who lives there. You'll have to deal with the Amalites. You have to deal with the Amalekites. You have to deal with the Canaanites. You have to deal with the Havites. You have to deal with the Hittites. He said, one after another, this is what you have to deal with. So God is asking us to move forward into a life of obedience to him, a life of productive service to him. And he says, here's what you can expect. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be challenging. It may be difficult, and it will involve some sacrifice. Jesus said in John chapter 16, These things have I spoken that you might have peace. In this world you'll have what? Tribulation. You know what tribulation is? That's a big Bible-sounding word for trouble. In this world you'll have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 6, in this, talking about the promises of God, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you are grieved for various trials. You are grieved by various trials, but you're rejoicing anyway. What he was telling the Christians of that day, there's going to be trials. Now, these can be trials in general. We get sick. 
people we love get sick, financial hardships come, frustrations on the job comes. All these things happen. God says, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. But he expects us to move forward anyway. Then he gets real specific. Look in 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4. We're looking at verse 1. Now, God is summarizing what we've all talked about. A life of obedience to Him where we reject the ungodly standards of the culture around us. And then He says, you do that you do that, here's what you'll face. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh is seized from sin, that he no longer should serve the rest of his life in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. We have spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. He said, here's what you can expect. You start living for me, and you start rejecting all of this, and the people around you are going to start calling you names. You don't go where they go, watch what they watch, drink what they drink, say what they say, and you start cleaning up your life, and you start living for the Lord, and you start coming to church, and you start taking a stand, then they're going to start calling you holier than thou. They're going to start calling you intolerant. They're going to speak evil of you. They're going to say what? You too good to party with us? It'll all happen over and over. They'll speak evil of you because they think it's strange. You don't run with them that's do the same things. God says it's happening. But what happens is someone decides they're going to serve God. Somebody criticizes them. Somebody calls them a name. Somebody calls them holier than thou. Oh, I can't be that. And they run back to Egypt and go right back into the same lifestyle God wants to bring them of. God said it would happen. A little bit later on in the same passage of Scripture, chapter 4, verse 12. Therefore, beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is the trial, try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. Rejoice to the extent you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. Don't think it strange as though some strange thing has happened to you. Why me? Why am I being picked on? Why is this happening? It's happening because everybody who's committed to God will face challenges to live for God. Everybody. Not just you. It's not just somebody's picking on you. It will take challenges. It will take difficulty. It will take sacrifice. It will take commitment to live for God and be in that land that he says he wants us in. A land of obedience and a land of fruitfulness. And he said, you watch. 
It's coming. It won't come easy. It won't come easy just despite the fact you're living for me. It will be hard because of the fact you're living for me because people around you will not understand and they will speak evil of you. And you've got to determine whose opinion means the most. Theirs or God's. That's the decision we make. So, Here's the wrap-up. They said, we can't do that. God had already said they could. The reality was not that they couldn't do it, but they wouldn't do it. That's a reality we have to do with. We come to the point of making a commitment to God and we say, I could never do that. Mm -mm. What we're saying is, I won't do that. God says we can do it. God says we can live for him. God says we can serve him. And when we say no, whether it's verbally or just by our actions, we're just saying, I won't do that. And here's the last point. They were so close to being where God wanted them to be. They were so close. He had told them to spy out the land and all he wanted them to do is get the logistics about how they were going about doing it. Not if they would do it, but how they would do it. They were that close. They were that close to doing what God wanted them to do, and they said no. And they lost their opportunity. You did a little bit more homework, we'll deal with that tonight. God said, well, then you're right. Because you said no, this entire generation will not see that land. You had the opportunity to do what was right, to move forward, to be brave, to be courageous, to do what should be done. And you said no. And you gave us all the reasons why it couldn't be done, but God had already said that you could do it. And you said no. That was our last opportunity. We don't know when our last opportunity will be to say yes to God. They were that close. And you may be that close to saying yes to God. They said no. And it cost them. Don't pay the same price. As we prepare for an invitation on him, I think the application is very obvious. God has something better for us. He's got a better way for us to live. He's got a better way for us to live than the, the popular culture. He's got a more decent way for us to live, a more sensible way for us to live. Honesty, integrity, kindness, and love for each other. He's got a better way for us to live. Are we going to do it? He presents to us the possibility of a life of trust in him, total dependence on him. Are we going to say yes? Perhaps you're here, and trust is not part of your vocabulary. Look. We all are disqualified from heaven because of sin. Every last one of us. Jesus Christ came to die and offer salvation to us. And he invites us. Would you make that step and trust me for salvation? And then commit your life with me. And together we'll go to that place 
where I will bless you beyond measure and you can live for me. You can live like me. That close. They said no. We don't have to as we stand and sing. What number? Number 120. <clears throat> 